Welcome to the CSRG Podcast. My name is Keanu. And my name is Chris. Today we're going to talk about how we set up our guns. Um, and I think this is all going to come down to personal preference, but we're going to talk through what we've, what we've found throughout the years of our shooting. Uh, what's worked for us and what hasn't. So yeah, and this isn't going to be an episode about like this isn't gonna this isn't going to be an ad for Atlas or CZ or Tanfo or whoever the hell or CK yeah or, or CK. You don't have a lot of nice things to say though. No, it's it's worked out really good for me, but I've been cannibalizing parts recently, so that's kind of like its own issue. But you know, we'll you know we could talk about that in a little bit. Either way, it's not gonna, it's not really going to be about the guns. It's, it's going to be more about like the setup with the guns, um, the ancillary stuff on the guns that we can choose. Um, cause you know, we don't really pick the frames or the slides for the most part on our guns or like, you know, how they shoot, uh, or like how they fire or whatever. So yeah. we're, like, we're talking about springs, we're talking optics, we're talking sights, we're talking magwells, magazines, all that stuff. All the things that essentially, you know, regardless of what builder you go for, for your gun, the things that you're probably going to experiment with. Yeah. Um, and you exactly. have the actual ability to, without dropping a couple of grand, uh, to exactly. Make some big yeah. Changes. Yeah. Well, I think the most important one to start with is are, like, are the springs. So yeah, for I sure. think, especially since both of us shoot 2011s, um, and I guess any hammer-fired gun really with a um, with a pretty standard Browning style lockup, and uh, in this hammer-fired, uh, it's it's going to come down to two springs. It's going to come down to a recoil spring and a main or main spring or a hammer spring. So the recoil spring's job. People always expect the recoil spring to do the job of leaving the gun locked for a longer period of time through firing. That's wrong. The only recoil spring's only job is to return the gun to zero and and, and, to, and to feed around and do all that stuff. And technically also, you know, prevent your gun from getting beat up too much. But yeah, but don't make the mistake. A lot of people online will tell you, oh, you know, a heavier recoil spring is going to prevent, you know, or it's going to reduce how much felt recoil there is. It's all, you know, it may possibly be true, but when it comes to shooting fast, that's well, pretty much. I think much... people like to use the lighter recoil springs because the gun cycles. It's the same amount of recoil cycling over the shorter period of time. Yeah, no. So but, there's less and there's less snap forward. Yeah, but you know, if you're on like 1911.com or whatever, you know those. I, I don't spend time on boomer sites, dude. <laughs> no, but, but it's you know, for a lot of new shooters, that's the first thing that they'll find, right? They'll be talking about how people are saying, "Oh, well, you know, I use an 18 pound spring because I'm shooting, you know, plus p ammunition, and it yeah. makes the gun feel softer in my hands." Yeah, or you'll hear, or if you hear people talking about how they use like nine pound springs in a limited gun, right? You're gonna you're gonna break something. That's just how it is. Yeah, because um, the gun's slamming into the is slamming back uh, against the against the frame, and it's slamming forward so fast, or, yeah. or extremely violently. Yep. And so again, we're you know the main thing that we look for in a recoil spring is all going to come down to return to zero for your particular grip. That's all that matters. Yep. And it's it's not just that; it's also in combination with the ammo you shoot and uh, the mainspring you have. So I know I I spring my gun a little bit more unconventionally. Than a lot of people, because I remember I was listening to a uh, primary and secondary podcast uh, several months ago, and it was on the 1911, and Tim Heron was on it, and I and uh, the guy from Chambers Custom was on it, and he was talking about, um, and Tim was talking about it, um, about how he breaks Bomar style sights all the time, which I've experienced before. I've I've broken on my first 2011, I broke within the first I think 4,000 rounds, I I broke a rear sight spring or screw. But that, that was also a used gun, right? It was um, a used gun still, but I think I had a nine-pound spring in it, so I'm pretty sure I helped along. Yeah, that's that's a very light spring for you know for, for a limited gun right? shooting 175 power factor. Yeah, uh, and I shoot pretty warm ammo too. And Tim was talking about how he's broken a lot of Bomar style sights, um, and and I think his name is Joe Chambers. Chambers said to um, 
the, the, the best thing to do, the proper way to spring a 1911-2011 is to, he recommended a 21 to 23 pound mainspring and a 14 to 15 pound recoil spring or 14 to 16 pound recoil spring. So, and, I, and then I remember a few weeks later, I saw Tim talking about it on his, on his Facebook page and he was saying how, how much he liked it and how the gun was returning to zero really, really well. And at this point, I think I was using a 12-pound spring in my limited gun. And I, was shooting 160, and I shoot 165-grain ammo at 175 power factor. So, you know, it's going about 1070. So it's pretty fast. And at that point, the gun felt more like an open gun the way it cycled. It just didn't have a compensator to help it push back down. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Let me try it. And I don't want to break a sight again, especially on my Atlas. Um, and because, you know, I, I don't want to use my backup gun if I don't have to. Um, and it's just an annoying thing to fix. Yep. And so, you know, let's talk about return to zero really fast. Yeah. Um, essentially how to achieve that, right? Yeah. Um, well, it's dependent on grip pressure, right? It, it's Along com- with the load you're shooting. Yeah. And I'd say those are really the main factors. It comes down to your grip and the type of ammo you're shooting. Yeah. And the power slide, factor. Slide mass too, I think. Because, you know, if you're talking the 2011s we're shooting versus a off-the-shelf 2011, you're talking about probably four to five ounces of, of slide weight in difference. So I think you're gonna have to play with springs a little bit, de- depending on the, um, de- depending on your slide weight. So you know my edge is my edge is sprung exactly the same as my Atlas. It doesn't shoot exactly the same. Yeah, but you know if we if we talk about the general idea of you know how to get your gun to return to zero, the best way to do it is you know grab a couple of springs or actually before you even buy springs, see what your gun is doing right now. Um, you know. Yeah. So watch the gun through the recoil arc. Yeah, well, not, not only that, you know, grab a friend, go to the range. You know, any modern phone these days will shoot slow motion. Yeah, like 150 feet per second or frames per second, too. So it's not bad. Yeah. And so what you want to do is you want to go to the range, uh, you know, put a target out to, let's say, four or five yards. And you just want to grip the gun as you normally grip it and, and put two rounds on target as fast as you can. Um, essentially, what this is doing, it's going to show you what your gun is doing during recoil. Yeah. Um, what you'll either see is you'll see that your your gun is going to be dipping on recoil or it's going to be settling high on recoil. Yeah. Rule of thumb: if the gun is settling high, you need to put a heavier spring in it. If it's settling low, so what you'll see when it settles low is well, you'll see the gun, uh, or at least the slide go back, and you'll see it really hit the hit the gun hard. It'll come back into battery, and then the gun will dip. Yep, and a lot of the time that that may be from two factors. That's not just from the spring. That's also that happens a lot from uh, bad grip pressure. So if yeah. you're not gripping the gun properly, um, you can see that happen as well if you have a really floppy grip or like a really weak um, weak hand grip. Yeah, and you know the springs shouldn't really be. A, well, the springs are going to be important regardless of what your grip pressure is. But what you'll see is the better you, the better you get at shooting, the harder you grip the gun. Your gun's going to start doing different things, and you'll inevitably end up going to a heavier recoil spring. Um, it's something that will eventually happen the harder you grip the gun. Yep. Uh, because then the you know the harder you grip, and if you've got a too light of a recoil spring in the gun, the gun's going to return back high, and you've got to make some changes. Yeah, and I know a lot of people like to use the light recoil springs in 2011s because it will give the perception of shooting flatter. But basically what's happening is the gun's recoiling the same amount. The muzzle rise is the same. The only difference is how much is the gun snapping back forward. And usually that's the impulse that most people uh, will feel in the gun. Yeah, that, that, is, the, that is the most felt impulse. Um, yeah. it's, or it's going to be the dead blow effect of the slide actually hitting the frame yep. um, when the gun completely recoils. But usually you know, that's distracted from the sound and the, you know, the pressure you get in your yeah, head. You don't, when you... I don't really notice, notice it that much. Um, Unless you're shooting like an ex- exceptionally hot load, where yeah. you definitely feel it, 
like you know, um, like shooting like a full power ten millimeter or something like yeah. that. You feel it. But what a lot of people feel and what a lot of people have issues with is when the gun comes back down. That's that's where people have most of their issues with um, with uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for with like tracking the sight, right? And, yeah, and, and you know, getting the gun to return properly. Because that that's usually where the most most I guess the motion happens, right? It's, yeah, you and that's where most of the jarring is going to be when the gun goes back into battery. Yeah, because you know the explosion of the bullet. Um, generally, that's going to take most of your focus, and then what you're tra- what you're doing is after the slide recoils, you're tracking the sight. And then usually you see what the gun is doing when it's coming back into battery. Yeah, exactly. So if the gun's jarring and dipping coming down, it means you're either not applying enough grip pressure or your spring is too heavy. Yeah. Um, but let's also talk about, I, I guess we'll touch on shock buffs really fast. Um, yeah. my, gun, my open gun is stroked, so I use a shock buff in mine. Um, I know some people don't, some people do. Um, I think this comes down to personal preference and how your gun is actually set yeah. up. I think the whole point of stroking, though, is so you can use shock, like a lot of shock buffs, right? Yeah. Where you have the option to use at least more than one. Yeah, but I don't think my CK is stroked, but I was using a shock buff in there. I don't think your edge is your edge was Neither stroke, of right? my guns are stroked. Um, but we use shock buffs. Um, yeah. And it's just it's going to come down to feel. Also, you know, some guns, the way that they're set up, you may end up, um, I guess, you probably maybe get a hammer follow or you just wouldn't get a reset trigger if there's not enough distance for your slide to travel if you put a shock buff in no so um, so hammer follow would be an issue coming from uh trigger over travel if you don't have enough you can get hammer follow um or you just have a messed up sear spring gotcha so completely unrelated <laughs> yeah so yeah. uh like that that would be the issue of hammer follow if you what was the issue you brought up with the with the I guess shock buffs. If there's if, length. yeah, so for some guns, if if there's not enough travel for the slide, I guess you can run some issues. Well, it won't eject. It won't feed properly. It won't cycle properly. Uh huh. Um, and I know I know a couple people who have had um, they have open guns that weren't cycling properly with shock buffs, and since they weren't making the full stroke, um, someone one of them actually ended up breaking, like cracking a slide. Oh, so dang. I had to go back uh-huh. to repair to the manufacturer. Um, I wouldn't blame it on the manufacturer. I think that was just an issue of how the gun was set up from the previous owner. Uh, but uh, like I know that can be an issue. Um, but with stroking, um, I know with open guns they're pretty good, right? Yeah. Like you, you like how your shoots. Oh, for sure. It, yeah. it shoots. Look at your CK. It's, it's, it's an open gun. And yeah. It works. So um, I mean, like that's. That's what's important. But it, it, I guess the way that it's set up, you definitely get a lot more jarring effect with it not being stroked. Yeah, um, especially with shooting such a high velocity, high yeah. pressure round like nine major, right? Yeah. Because like I've shot stroke limited guns, and I have to say, I don't really like them. Mm-hmm. It, it feels with 40, 40 I, I feel like forty doesn't have enough pressure. Um, like no matter what you shoot, even my one sixty fives, I feel like they're not going to cycle the gun fast enough. Yeah. To you know to take good advantage of stroking because um, when I was shooting, I, I shot a friend's stroked gun with his 180 grain loads and he was running like an 11 pound spring or something the gun was way too slow uh-huh. period it, it was just cycling too slow for me so i think and i was talking to uh, luigi lee um he he's uh like he's an akai employee and he was saying for stroke guns it's really important that if you have a if you have high grip pressure and you have a good grip you need to use a you have to use a really heavy recoil spring so and he was talking like 16 to 18 pounds oh wow a, or, or like you know, fifteen pounds and up. Yeah. For a for a limited gun. So I, I mean, you know, these are factors to consider, especially with a an unconventional setup like a stroked limited gun. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 
Um, yep, so we both use shock buffs. Um, we choose to use the Wilsons, that, uh, the Wilson shock buffs. That's what came with our guns. That's what we continue to use. They're cheap, and they're easily replaceable. Like, you can get them on Amazon for like five bucks for six. So yeah. Um, I don't even... I don't even think about getting anything else. And at that point, they, they just become disposable for us. But, you know, we were talking about for hammers. you. They're yeah. like a durable good for me. They last like tens of thousands. Yeah. Well, I found out that was because I was getting coil binding on my gun, um, which yeah. is... Did you want to bring that up? Um, checking I'll... checking the length, of, at least, of the um, of a of a stroked gun or with a shock buff, right? Yeah. So... You want to make sure the gun is traveling completely. Yeah. So the issue... So what coil binding is essentially is... Um, when the gun recoils, if the spring of your, I guess if the length of your recoil spring is too long, um, the slide will never actually touch the back of your uh, your guide rod. And what that means is that the gun isn't actually traveling as far back as it should. And so what was happening with mine is that the slide was never actually impacting my shock buff. And the only thing hitting my shock buff was the spring. And so what it would do is it was tearing apart my shock buffs essentially. So something you want to check uh, when you are playing with your recoil springs is to make sure you're not getting coil binding. I think uh, there's a lot of good information online out there about it. And, you know, if you've got a question on how to check for it or whatnot, uh, send us a DM on Instagram and, you know, we can I can go through with you to see, you know, what exactly is happening and if you're getting coil binding. Yeah. Um, and I think um, these are just for our major guns for our, both of our production guns, I don't think. It's nothing special, right? We're not we're not overthink we're not really overthinking anything. Yeah, I mean, you run an eleven pound in yours, in your eleven pound recoil spring with a thirteen pound mainspring. In my CZ, yeah, yeah, and I have a thirteen pound recoil spring, thirteen pound mainspring. Yeah, and I think I have a little bigger hands, and I can I have a little bit more uh, forearm than you. Yeah, but you know, we we also shot with somebody shooting attack sport, who was uh, she was eating her shock buffs as well. Yeah, but interestingly enough, I checked her gun for coil binding at the safe area after the match was not an issue. Um, so, you know, it seems like CZs, I don't know, maybe they just don't have that issue because of the way, you know, the the manufacturing processes for them, you know. The, or just the way they're designed. I, I have no idea. Yeah. I like, don't shoot, like, I only shoot, I shoot a shadow and I shoot it, like, basically stock from CZ Custom, so. Yeah, and, like, you know, there's so many manufacturers of yeah. 1911 springs, you know, they all come out different lengths and stuff. Yeah. So you and I both use Wolf. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and it's the variable. You don't use the fixed. I, th- I think mine are fixed. Is it the um, is it the green bag or the red bag? It's a red bag. Oh, those are fixed. Yeah. I, so I use, I use the variable, which is the green, green bag. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know the difference, to be honest, in terms of how they feel. Um, I've never shot a fixed spring in my 2011, uh-huh. so I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I well, can't say. Well, maybe, maybe the one in my gun right now is The stock variable. one, Atlas sends them with variables. Yeah, then I'm, then I'm using a variable in mine right yeah. now. Um, so you might have a little bit of difference in timing with your... Um, with your open guns once you change yeah. up the recoil spring but let's talk about timing actually so yeah. Keanu does run a pretty unconventional spring setup so my gun out of the I guess out of Adam's shop is using a 17 or 18 pound mainspring 18 yeah uh, with a 8 I think mine actually measured with my spring tester at 8.5 pounds for my recoil spring but yeah. Keanu's using a 20, you're using a 23 pound yeah so I shoot with a 23 pound mainspring um, well I want to preface this with the mainspring has almost no bearing on the trigger. All of the trigger in the 2011, all of the trigger weight and all the trigger uh, and like return, like like return power and everything, is all managed by the leaf spring um, under the mainspring housing, in like behind the gun. The mainspring has no effect on it. What the mainspring does for 2011s is it controls how long the gun is locked up for. 
And I know, so Atlas does cut there. Atlas uses slant cut backplates. So the guns do unlock a little bit faster. Um, as opposed to a flat backplate, which is pretty common on most uh, 2011, 1911s. And I think RCZs have them too. Um, so with a heavier mainspring, the mainspring controls how long the gun is locked for. So when you move to a heavier mainspring, you you control you're slowing down how fast the gun opens but once the gun is open it's back to opening it's back to cycling at full speed so what that does is it helps it helps the longevity of the gun and also helps in in my opinion it's it's helped a lot with the with the way the gun tracks um up and down i know chris chris you've shot my gun um and you and i have pretty big differences in you know the way we grip the gun and our grip pressure and even you say the the way my gun tracks up and down with the way I have it set up now, it's it's almost it's close to an impeccable return to zero. It is, yeah. And you know, if you watch your videos, the way that your gun tracks is probably almost as fast as a lot of people's open guns. It flips more. It, it, it does, but it rises more than a lot of people's limited guns because it's it you know it's making a full recoil arc up and down. So, but, but when it comes back to zero, it's almost as fast as open guns, from what I've seen, compared to some other people's limited guns. Yeah, um, it, You'll, you don't have to muscle the gun down. Yeah, it, it tracks incredibly fast, and that, you know that's Keen has been playing around a lot with his spring weights to make that and, happen, and bullet weight too. The bullet weights, I think, switching to the one sixty five has done a lot for that. Yeah, and usually, you know, the 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 more you grip, I think you'll see more gain. I guess the harder you grip, and the greater your grip pressure becomes you start seeing more gains shooting lighter bullets with more powder. Uh, because what you're doing is you're forcing the gun to cycle faster, which then makes yeah, the gun yeah, return exactly. to zero faster. Yeah, I, I, like when I started, I like to use 200 grain bullets, um, but it got to the point where it just felt slow. Not that, like, you know, actual time-wise, there's not that big of a difference. You're talking about milliseconds. Yeah, but... But I, it, you can feel the gun just in how the gun's cycling and watching the gun through the recoil arc. And it, for me, I, I feel like there's a difference from 165 to 180 to 200. And yeah. same with nine millimeter. Yeah, I definitely know. Like, I don't. I shot maybe, probably only about a thousand rounds of one forty seven back when I was shooting production. Yeah. Um, and even carry optics. But I, I quickly realized, especially shooting a heavy gun like this, the Shadow Zero or the Shadow One. The you Shadow call Zero. It, um, <laughs> right. The the guns just they they track better with lighter bullets. Um, because it's just a little bit hotter, and uh, you know, the the more you grip, you know. It's almost like you're waiting for the slide to come back with 147s. I yeah. know, you know, we're really talking milliseconds at that point, but yeah, or it, it returns high. I think with with uh, with the heavier bullets, I feel like the guns returning higher too. But the way our guns are sprung, with, yeah, with the way a lot of people's guns are sprung, yeah. Um, but you know what it comes down to though is that if if you're processing information fast enough, where it feels like you're waiting for your slide to come back, then it's probably time to mess with your recoil springs, mess with your ammo. Because um, yeah. that means you've gotten to the point where you know you're able to process all the visual information you need to shoot well faster. So it's about time and to. This get isn't your... even like high level stuff. This no. is like if you've shot a lot, you know what your gun's going to feel like, mm -hmm. right? Um, yeah, and you and I shoot 124s now, and we've had or 125s, and we've had pretty good luck with those. Yeah, and so let's let's move on to sights really fast. Um, yeah. So you know we're going to talk about we're going to talk about red dots plus iron sights. Um, but let's talk about iron sights first. Um, you know, we're talking about essentially the front sight. I know some people like thin front sights so that there's more light on both sides. But yeah. I, I personally like slightly fatter front sights. So do I. Yeah, I think a little bit of light on each side for me, like just a sliver of it is good. Um, I'm actually thinking about replacing the front sight on my Atlas just because it's a little, I want something a little bit fatter. 
Yeah, so for me in particular though, um, it's hard for me to find good sight picture with iron sights just because I'm not used to it. But with the fatter front sight, I feel like I have less deviation from you know your uh, your windage to get a good sight picture and a good shot. Um, I know some people don't feel that way. They feel like it takes up too much target or whatnot. But personally for me, I like the the thicker front sights. Yeah, uh, it's it's the same. Um, like you see the same same uh, thought process through um, in NRA high power. A lot of people are were I knew were moving to fatter front sights because yeah they, they took up more of the target but it was easy to center it was easier to center because it took up more of the sight picture um and I, like i think my cz has a pretty pretty uh pretty big front sight now from cz custom i really like that one by yeah the way. i i like how it i like the width of it because it's it still gives you the opportunity to see you know equal height equal light but it's not so much that you can blatantly turn the sight one way or the other it's basically you can either see the front sight or you don't and if you see the front sight you're going to hit whatever you're shooting like whatever you're aiming at within 25 yards gotcha um, which i prefer over you know a sight that requires more alignment you know more light like yeah i mean again we're talking like you know fractions of a second in time just you know just acquiring the sights yeah but you know th this is all cumulative yep yep and you know let's talk about fiber colors uh i like red i like red um, I have a green on my CZ because I'm out of red. Yeah. <laughs> well, good to know. I've got some red upstairs. Um, but I like red mainly because it's what I'm used to seeing on my open guns. Uh-huh. Just because, you know, red is red. Um, but I do know green could possibly let in more light indoors. Green is much better. There's a noticeable difference in how in, in how bright the fiber is. Mm -hmm. But, but <laughs> shooting outside, I have not had good luck with green. Um, it's too bright. So it washes out a lot of your front sight. So what I started, what I do for my CZ is I sharpie the top of the fiber so it takes in less light. With the red, it's not even an issue. The red's perfect outside. Well, except when we were shooting Tilly's match, I think you were surprised at how bright your fiber was, the red one. That was an exceptionally sunny day, too, and his range doesn't have a lot of shade in the shooting areas. Uh -huh. I think a lot of the places, like other places we shoot at, have a good bit of coverage, too. Gotcha. Or we've just shot in cloudy days a lot this year. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> Either way, guys, bring a Sharpie with you if your front sight's too bright. Yeah, I think detracting. the red's the red's pretty close to good, though. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for indoors, I initially started shooting with green just because um, I shot a lot of indoors. I still shoot a lot of indoors. So the green felt like, an like you know, advantageous for me. Yeah, and I've heard some people talk about switching out fiber colors throughout the shooting season. That's, I, nah. I don't know how viable that is. I don't but. even change fibers, like... I change my fiber maybe once a year, if even. Uh -huh. I just change it until it breaks. Yeah, well, I, I run it until it breaks. Well, the thought process that they told me was essentially uh, it. It's a change of scenery and what you're looking for, so you're you know focused on that different color. You're not get, you're not getting used to one, but that's I don't, that sounds kind of that sounds like stupid like urban legend magic crap. Kinda, yeah, but you know I I could see the viability in it, but you know at. At your level right now, I don't even think you're doing a lot of front sight focus. So I yeah. don't do a lot of front sight focus, no. Um, yeah, anything for limited, anything within on an open target up to like 20 yards, I'll target focus. Yeah. And two alpha shouldn't be out of the, you know, an out of the world expectation. Yeah. So take it with a grain of salt, guys. Um, but, you know, if it's something, if you're having trouble focusing on the front sight after, you know, halfway through the season, give it a shot. Who knows? Maybe yeah. it works, maybe it doesn't. It's a cheap. It's super cheap to try out. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's not an expensive thing to do at all. Um, I think front sight for serrations, though. I like front serrated front sights. I think they yeah. do help a lot with with glare, mm -hmm. um, especially if you have a bright fiber. Because um, I think I think my CZ has a. It's not serrated, and all the Dawsons are serrated. 
Are they not serrated? The CZ Custom front sights aren't serrated. Uh, mine's serrated. No. Yours um, might be aftermarket. Mine is not serrated. But anyway, um, I have a Ken or a Dawson on my Atlas, and it's serrated. And I think there there is you do see a difference Yeah. Um, in how much glare you take in. Um, same with the rear sights. Yeah. And so I think you know all of the rear sights that I've had on guns have all been serrated. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the norm on guns built for competition. So Ameriglow does some sights without serrations. Um, but are they are Ameriglows considered like competition sights? They make a or? few competition style yeah. sights, like you know, flat back rear fiber okay, front uh-huh. uh, for Glocks. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Good to know. Yeah. Well, do you want to move on so you can talk about red dots? Because I got nothing to say on it. Yeah. So red dots, I know. So right now, I actually just recently switched over to the Hollow Sun 510C, which is a chungus. That thing is big on my gun. Um, but what I will say, right, um, everybody in open have been, they've been chasing the bigger dots because that means you track your dot better in recoil. Um, and the main gain that I've seen actually is when I'm doing an offhand transition, usually with my Delta Point Pro, I'd lose my dot to either the top right or the top left corner of the window, but I wouldn't know where it is. On the Hollow Sun, where my index was before, it's pretty much in the three quarters top of the optic. So it's really easy to find. Um, but I think the biggest thing, a lot of people don't like the Hollow Sun because it has a two MOE dot versus the two and a half of the Delta Point Pro. And I know a lot of people like six MOE dots. Um, this is probably a more expensive experiment you can do is to figure out which one you like better. Um, I know, I know, was it uh, the Sig Romeo Max? This the Romeo 3 Max that's coming out, I think only comes out in six MOA. The, the, I think the new Sig Optic is only six MOA. Yeah, and yeah. I, know, I know a lot of guys shooting carry optics, they like the six MOA dot. I can't stand them. Um, it's just too fat. For me, it's uh, I, the way that I like to put it is that it's too much thinking. Um, when so with the two with the two MOE dot and the two and a half MOE dot, I pretty much know at whatever distance what my dot is covering, my round is going. Mm-hmm. Um, with the six MOE, I feel like my brain works in a way where I'm like, is the dot centered where I want it to be? Because you know it's it's covering up more space, so I'm not thinking. You know, is you know is the round going to go to the top of the dot? Is it going to go to the middle of the dot? Is it going to the bottom of the dot? Um, like for some reason, my brain does this weird thing where it tries to figure out where within the dot the bullet's gonna go. So you do the opposite of why people tend to like bigger dots. Yeah. Um, so you're so you're over processing when you when, when you bring up a bigger dot. I am, yeah. But with you know with the smaller dot, I know that's it. It's going there. Um, you know, it's it's more precise. For, yeah, it's both more precise, and I also don't have to think about it because it's more precise. Um, I think your issue is you think. Probably, which is not very good when you're, well, kind of good when you're shooting so you don't shoot yourself or anybody else. Um, but yeah, I, I probably do overthink. Um, I tried the, the 7.5 MOA triangle before, and you know, you're supposed to zero at the tip of the dot for precision. The triangles just seem so hectic. It, it, it's, it's too much. Like, just way, use a dot. Way too much. Right. And do, you use the, do you use the EOTech reticle no, on the Hollow Sun? I or don't. Or just use the regular dot? Just use the regular 2 MOA dot. Um, it's bright enough. And uh, I think what it really comes down to for red dots is brightness. You know, how bright does your dot get? Yeah. Um, and so I really enjoyed the uh, Hollow Sun, but I also really like the Delta Point Pro. But again, you'll see people who like the 6MOE dot. I don't. I like smaller dots. Um, yeah. Again, all personal preference. Personal right? preference. But this one's probably a little more expensive to find a preference for because um, you have to try out the different dots. Yeah, but I think certain guns are more finicky with the Hollow Sun also because you, you have to get the new the, the TiVo mount for it, right? Because no one else is making a mount yet. Well, Atlas, Atlas is, right? Atlas, so I have the Atlas on mine. Okay, um, yeah. But I'm using the TiVo Blast Shield. But uh-huh. I know Limcat is making a mount that's not publicized. you got to give them a call for it. 
Um, and TiVo has one. Um, yeah. Because the optic is so long and it's so wide. Yeah. It, it affects ejection of a uh, of nine millimeter, especially for nine major, where the ejection's erratic. Yep. Like it's, just different case case thickness affects how the gun is going to cycle. Yeah, it's the same issues right. that the Seymours had when nine millimeter major first started becoming popular, yeah. and then they made the ninety degree mount. So um, right now it's been working out fine. Um, I found out my ejector was broken for a little while, which I was having some feeding uh, feeding issues. But after replacing, it, it's been fine. Um, but yeah, again, red dots is going to come down to preference, also come down to weight. Uh, my gun's really heavy now, so I'm thinking about moving some things around. Yeah, but generally, um, like, bigger windows are more favorable, right? It is, yeah. So, like, the RMRs, you almost never see RMRs using open. Yeah. Or, like, the Vortex Venoms or anything, like, like the micro red dots, um, you know? You'll see some Vortexes just because they're cheap and, they're, they, you know, they're no BS warranty. I've seen them on open Glocks. Those are the only kind of people I see uh -huh. using them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and you know, and then you see some burst fast fires, right? It comes down to your price point for that. Yeah. Um, but I think what it really comes down to is, you know, find a dot you can afford, uh, one that you like the window of and the, uh, the dot size that you like. Well, it's got to be durable, too. You don't, yeah. don't want to have a dot that you're sending back for warranty repair every, you know, every month or so, right? Yeah, but it, it's inevitable. Um, yeah. well, with, the, well, I think the Delta Points and the Hollow Sun, they're pretty good on fixed mounts. It's the issue when you put them on reciprocating slides... When they're slamming back and forth, that's yeah. when they start to die out really quickly. Yeah. Last thing I'll say about the Holosun, though. Um, because of the length of the optic and to get it to eject uh, reliably with 9 Major, the the optic is very close to the popple holes on my gun. And so I'm getting a lot of blasts on it, even with the blast shield. So I imagine that the optic is not going to last as long as a Delta Point Pro. It's just, just putting more stress just from the, the gas. Placement. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I have no evidence to back that up, but I imagine with what you know, what well, I've seen so far, the dot's not going to live as long as some of the other. Tilly said dots. he's gone through a couple already. I, I think, think three right? in the past Something year. Something like that. I think you brought it up. But anyway, yeah. Where did it move on? Um, Base pads and magwells, <laughs> and magazines. I guess tubes. What yeah. tubes you like? You and I use different magazines and different tubes and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I'm really lazy, so I don't like messing with anything. So I shoot MBX magazines. I, I've never messed with my 40 mags shooting uh, uh, shooting regular STI Gen 1 tubes. But then didn't you have to buy Dawson pads, put them on, do all that stuff, change out the followers? Yeah, and guess what? They still cost less than an MBX. Yeah, but I, I don't like doing any of that. So I just buy MBX mags, and then I run them to see if they work, and then... Well, see, I'm lazy, which is why I use the Dawsons, because they're easier to pop off when I clean my magazines. Because unlike you, I actually care about my equipment at a, at a match. But see you clean your magazine so <laughs> that's, gonna, I, that's gonna that's gonna bite you in the butt one day dude yeah I'll, i mean I'll, I'll probably these days i've been cleaning them more at matches but usually i'll go maybe two three stages before cleaning them yeah um which is generally fine but yeah um, um but i think for uh for like tubes i haven't had any issue with the uh people like the gen 2s i don't like the gen 2 stis um they feed weird and they stuck and like they're weird to load yeah, um, and I the think Gen 1s have been pretty hassle-free for me for 40. I know with 9mm, they've been a little bit more finicky in the past. Yeah, and I know a lot of people like SVI mags. Uh, the SVI old mags ones, are very nice. The yeah. old SVI They're very mags. durable, too. But I think the consensus is Gen 2 mags generally stick in your steel grips. Um, so they're, Yeah, they're they're really prone with the um, with the PT grip or I guess even like the Chili or the SV grips. Yeah. Um, if you put them in sideways, since they're so much more square, mm -hmm. they tend to stick a lot more. They're a lot, they're a lot more rigid. Yeah, um, um, the the Gen One mags are a lot more rounded, so they can, they tend to have a little bit more flex. Yeah, which actually this segues into our uh, Magwell thing because I know you use a uh, you use the Magic Magwell and I don't. Yeah, so I've got the brass Limcat Magwell, and let me tell you, I did not buy it for the weight. 
I bought it because it's brass colored, <laughs> which looks great on my gun. Until it turns um, green. Yeah, it's kind of gross now. Um, but again, my gun is really heavy right now. I'm, I'm debating getting the, I think, the steel or aluminum limb cap magwell, whatever they make. Um, but, you know, your base pads, I don't think you can use the Dawson's with the limb you cap. Cannot. Yeah, that's um, why I don't have one yet. Yeah, so again, I enjoy the fact that I can use the, the Limcat Magwell, but um, you know, if I go back to the Atlas Magwell, for example, or even just the Dawson Ice, my reloads aren't nearly as bad as they were previously. And so, just, you've just gotten better. Yeah, right? and so in the end, you know, this is going to come down to aesthetic preference. Yeah. Um, the Limcat definitely helps. Uh, it helps, especially with the steel grip, right? Yeah. It, it corrects the magazines completely. Yeah, with the steel grip, but also at a major match, um, if you have a lot of reloading going, because inevitably, uh, the more tired you get, the, the sloppier you're going to get. Yeah. And so it's going to help me in the long run, but, I, you know, shooting local match five stages, six stages, probably not going to see a huge gain shooting the Limcat Magwell. Yeah, um, but you know, food yeah, for thought. I, I just use the Atlas Steel Magwell. I'm not really picky on Magwells. Um, I, I can I can sometimes reload properly on like Chris. <laughs> I, I, I like just you know just jam them in for me, and if it if it sticks, well that sucks. Just rip them out and throw a new one in. Yeah, but, uh, but I've been had I've only had that happen once in a match out yeah. of all the time I've had steel grip guns. And I've had steel grip guns for the better part of. The last like year and a half, I think. Yeah, and usually it happens at machine gun dust. Usually late at night when it, you're. It just happens when like if I'm practicing or just doing some stupid crap or dry firing. It's yeah. only happened a couple times, like once in a match. I think like Sir Walter. I think that's when it happened. Yeah. And it might have happened once at machine gun dust, but that's besides the point. Um, just get just just get better at reloading. Um, but the Limcats are nice if you don't have Dawson base beds. Yeah, get some sick-looking magwells on your gun if you want to. Yeah. Like the Akai actually has a new magwell that yeah, uh -huh. is uh, it's a little bit more open. It's a little bit more con uh, concave uh -huh. uh, than the than the Limcat. So it it tends to it'll it'll feed with uh, or it'll fit with Dawson's. Yeah. So uh -huh. I'm I'll look into getting that. Um, we'll see. I think Atlas said they're developing one as well. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. And, like, I shot a Cape Magwell or a Cape Magwell clone just because it looked really sweet. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. when it comes down to it, aesthetics, man. That's that's what makes or breaks my gear decisions. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you want to talk about your uh, gas pedal placement? I know you've just been yep. messing around with that. Yeah, so... Um, and this know, has actually, I think, been a pretty big development for you. It has been. So, you know, with gas pedals alone, they're uh, a hot topic for debate. When I'm it sorry, comes... not gas pedal. We mean Akai t-shirts <laughs> with thumb rests. No, acceleration pedals, as yeah. they should actually be called. Um, but, you know, it, it's a topic of discussion because some people think it, uh, I guess, it, it enforces bad grip habits. Or... Well, people use them differently, right? Yeah, and some people also say it, it makes you put pressure on the gun in weird ways that makes the gun recoil funny. I think people, I think some people do do that. Like, like they apply noticeable downwards pressure on the gas pedal, trying to push the gun down, fight recoil. Yeah, um, and so that that's kind of I, I've always used it as a way to reference my grip. So I actually had it in the furthest back position because I've got short thumbs. Um, but an epiphany I had after shooting Keanu's gun last year, um, and I didn't really act on it until now, was the way that the gas pedals are set up for me, I actually don't get as much hand on the PT Evo as I'd like to. Um, this is probably because my hands are actually smaller than most people's. So with the placement of the gas pedal, I actually just don't get enough meat of my palm into the grip. So what I've done actually is I've pushed it forward two screws um, and essentially what it looks like now is that the last screw hole of the gas pedal is hanging off of the optic mount. Yeah. Um, this has helped me a ton. I actually don't put my finger on the actual rest anymore. 
You I'm, just kind of like put your thumb kind of like the, like on the side of it, right? Just the index. Yeah. So what I started doing is, you know, the, the gas pedal, because of the sidewall, it makes a shelf with the optic mount. So I started using the actual optic mount as a uh, reference point for my, fi oh, for my thumb. But I'm getting a way stronger and, you know, way tighter grip on the actual PT, which has shown incredible gains in my shooting for the past, you know, two or three weeks that I've had it set up like this. Yeah. And I, like I have, to, I have to say, I think I've, I've shot a couple limited guns with gas pedals on them. I feel like I can't apply the same amount of pressure as I can um, just because I can't get my thumb down on the gun properly. Yeah, and you know, most people shooting, you know, they have a thumbs forward grip. And what that gas pedal does is essentially prevent you from getting a thumbs forward grip. Well, it kind of uh, gets, you, it, it gets you a thumbs forward grip. It's like a thumbs up grip. So, like, you know, yeah. when you're trying to push in and crush down on your gun, you can't do it as well for me with like a shelf for your thumb to sit on because the thumb is holding your entire hand up. Yeah, and if you look at Bob Vogel's grip, like for him, the thumb is what gives him a lot of that leverage too. The way you see his thumb just kind of ripping into the gun. so And like pushing down. Yeah. 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 Um, but again, that's just personal preference. But Yeah, and talking about personal preference, I use an ape hanger on my gun. Uh, everyone... It sticks about six inches high, and when he shoots, it's about up to his like hat. Everybody thinks it's hilarious. Um, it's pretty great. But... I like it. But, you know, I was actually talking to Andrew Hong before I bought my Atlas, uh, talking about, you know, what slide racker to use. Um, he's seen some people whose thumbs were hit by slide rackers, so you'll see some nails falling off um, because of the way some people grip the gun. So that was a risk that I wasn't willing to take. Um, I've been hit by a couple of, uh, of our friends' guns before. And it's scary. Like, I'm not going to lie. It's, it freaking hurts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I opted for the gigantic ape hanger or, you know, kickstand, as people like to call it. Um, but I will say it's a little slower to rack the gun um, versus some of the shorter mounts just because of, you know, how you're used to racking a gun. It's by the slide versus now I'm like six inches high. But um, I like it. You should try it. It's a couple hundred bucks. Or that's about like 150 bucks. Um, but again, if, if you have no issues with your current racker, I don't think it's worth trying. So yeah. I just rack overhand on my slide. Uh huh. But if you use a gas pedal, you have to use a racker pretty much. So. Yeah, and if if you're shooting an open gun too with an optic mount, you have no choice either. It's, you know, you, there, there's a. I think I've seen one guy without without a uh, slide racker on his open gun, and he would rack the slide with his. Uh, like he'd, he'd grab the back of the slide. He, he'd have to pinch it, and it was you know it's it's definitely slower than having a racker. Get a racker if you have an optic or yeah. or gas pedal. Yeah. Um, um, let's see. Triggers. I think you and I had a good discussion about triggers, but basically I think you were saying that short triggers, I think we're, cause we're running short on time. Yeah. Short triggers encourage you to slap hard. I like the medium trigger in my gun because it fits, it just fits my hand. That's just what mm -hmm. I like. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I made a conscious decision with the short trigger. Um, cause it lets me shoot faster, but it's also harder to have a good trigger pull cause it is shorter. You have less room to work with. So, um, again, preference. It's also your actual length of pull. So I'm sure my trigger is not set up for my length of pull. Yeah. So let's leave it at that. Well, because you like my medium trigger anyway. I do, so, right? yeah. So that's something yeah. to consider. And let it be known, Chris also looked at getting a, the Geppert hinge trigger for it's, the 2011s. It's way too much work, man. There's, you got to drill the frame, or like the trigger guard. It's, you make it's, a lot of money, you can do it. Yeah, it's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> not worth it. But talking about money, um, right now the hotness is the PT Evo. Yeah. Um, pound sign honcho is pound, pound sign pound sign honcho um, but I think for for the both of us we're in consensus that we like the PT Evo because of the texture yeah if it were aluminum and it had the same texture I'd still get it yeah 
Um, shooting, you know, I shot the lock bogeys on my CZ when I was shooting carry optics. Um, my, my CK has a plastic grip. The main gripe that I have with plastic grips is that they start to dull over time. Um, it's just the nature of the material. Um, it starts to dull out a little bit, and it's not as aluminum as too. Will, will, aluminum too will also uh, will dull out a little bit over time. Yeah, um, steel's been pretty good. Yeah, and you know, Atlas has a really good video on the difference between the two when it comes to you know grip flexing and whatnot. Um, my personal take on it is that open guns don't. Uh, they're not subject to that type of flexing as much as limited guns. Yeah, um, and I, I think Christian Saylor uses a plastic grip on his Akai. A lot of high-level limited shooters use plastic grips, though. Mm-hmm. Again, like it's all com- it all comes down to preference. Yeah, in the end, good shooters are good shooters, so it doesn't really that make that big of a difference. Um, I can't say I had I noticed a difference like in tracking the gun with a metal grip. Uh-huh. And I did notice that the transitions were slower because the gun was twelve ounces heavier. Yeah, but I I did like how the gun like base was basically glued to my hand. Yeah, and uh, um, if you see some, of the, good. see some of the calluses on Keanu's hands, like the the PT does work, you know. Yeah, like like the grip texture is is no joke. It and it, it's honestly like like we said, the grip texture alone pretty much makes it worth it. Yeah, um, and I know with the plastic grips, with trigger fitting, it can be a little bit iffy because the plastic grips can be molded a little, molded a little bit small, and STI has put out a few. I had a, a bad grip on my edge. That was way too small, uh-huh. and it like it wasn't. The magazines were sticking inside of it and all that stuff. Um, but if you get a good size plastic grip, then you know rock on if you like it. Yeah, um, and it's nice because if you have metal ma- with the magazines, they don't stick. You can put them yeah. sideways. Yep, you know because of the flex. It, exactly. Yeah, because the metal grips don't flex, so they it'll just stick. Magazines. Yeah, so you know it comes down to preference. You know, hold somebody's gun who's got a PT these days. Anybody you know shooting one of the the hot builders these days. Yeah, will and have Akai, a PT. Uh, Atlas. Yeah, um, um, CK makes their own, but they do they more or less follow the same pattern. Yep. And CK does also offer different sizes. Um, SV makes basically the same thing. I think PT like the PT grips and SV grips are pretty like. They're, they're very similar. And, you know, I yeah. think SV originally had the aggressive pocket. Like, they called them micro pockets or whatever yeah. first. Well, PT has one that's even that's even more aggressive yeah. than the, like, like the, the Gen 1 aggressor or whatever yeah. the hell they call Too it. Too aggressive, so I think they phased it out. Yeah. Um, but I, I know Limcat makes a, a steel grip as well. Yeah. Their so. texture is a little bit different different from everyone else's, yeah. though. So. so, you know, definitely worth checking out. And, you yeah. know, the sizes are different as well. The PT is a little smaller than your regular plastic grips. Yeah, so. well, I think it, they're more contoured, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think th- these are expensive things to experiment with. So if you're going to shoot, like, if, you're gonna, if you want to buy a grip, definitely try grips before you buy them. Yeah. Um, because you, next thing you know, you don't want to sink, you know, $650, $700. Plus two uh, hours of fitting if you've got to, or, you know, a couple hundred bucks to send it to a builder to fit it. I hit know. mine on my edge with a hammer, and it fit. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we're special people, and I took a Dremel to my PT Evo, so... Um, yeah, again, we're special. No, no one look at his gun. Nope. The Magwell wobbles. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Not too bad. It's bad. Um, but yeah, and you know, so again, we, we've kind of gone through everything that is pretty easy to experiment with on your gun. Yeah. Um, give it a try. See what you like. See what you don't like. Talk to your friends, you know. Borrow guns. I think borrowing guns, especially in this community, people are always willing to let you shoot their guns. Yeah. It's either just a flex on you or it's because <laughs> they actually like you. Yeah, um, and, and you know, you, you go know. to you go to a major match. Uh, there's a lot of side games that you can and play. Vendors and vendors too, yeah. Yeah, like I know at Area Five last year, CK was a title sponsor. They had all of their grips out on display. 
Yeah, Atlas always comes to Area 7 and Area 8, so... Yeah, so. And uh, same with Buckeye Blast and stuff like that. So, you know, there are plenty of opportunities for people to try out this stuff. Yep. Um, and, you know, springs and stuff, those, those are all cheap parts. You can get them for five bucks on Shooter's Connection. Yeah. So, you know, play around with them, see how you like it. You know, everyone's a little different, so just see what you like. Um, we're, we're really over on time, I yeah. think. Yep. Um, this is a, probably our longest podcast to date. One of the longest, yep. Yeah. But um, so thanks for tuning into the CSRG podcast. My name is Keanu. And I'm Chris. Shoot well, and we'll see you on the range.